What? Oh, oh. Shout. One second, please. Step Kennedy. Hi, you're listening to Designated Driver, the podcast about the work and mystique of Adam Driver. I'm Malia. And I'm Liz. And this week we're talking about Black Klansmen. Mm-hmm. So had you seen Black Klansmen before? Yes. What's the story? Oh, I'll do the recap. Okay, it's based on a true story, and it's about a young police officer who's black, and it looks like he's one of, one of or if not the first black police officer in Colorado Springs, and it's set in the 70s. I think it's the early 70s. And he decides he wants to infiltrate the local chapter of the Klan. So he calls the Klan and starts these overtures to the clan director whose name is Walter in this and then he gets a, a white or white-ish you find out he's actually Jewish cop to stand in for him uh, when he goes to the rally so they kind of tag team to infiltrate the clan and take him down yeah we went right into the movie but actually we have some other segments oh yeah should we maybe yeah. we should do first yeah so that was a teaser. That was a teaser. For where we're going eventually. It's going to be good. I really, <laughs> full disclosure, I really enjoyed the movie. Or wait, spoiler? I really did. Spoiler. I really enjoyed the movie. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. So segments, is there an update on the rats? Oh, yeah. I mean, the rats, rats are known to be smart animals. And our rats are going to be really smart. Because they sit with me in the office all day while I'm working and listen to podcasts. So they're going to be like really educated. They basically have a liberal arts degree at this point. And really thoughtful about political (laughs) and popular culture. And yeah, in the 80s stuff like that happened in the 80s and 90s. Because we listened to You're Wrong About nonstop all day. But we did listen to our podcast together. So... They liked it. Stormy is a little more of a worrier. She's like, you made it sound like all the Trump supporters at the Capitol riot loved Hitler. And (laughs) there's a lot of trolls. I mean, there were definitely white supremacists there and who openly love the Holocaust. It's a weird thing. And this came up in uh, Black Klansmen. The Holocaust deniers Mm -hmm. or worshiping Hitler as a demigod. So yeah, so anyway, Jem, the other rat, she's bolder Mm -hmm. and she's like, they're not gonna hear it, just say whatever you want, just be yourself. You know, Jem has really thick white fur and she looks like a little cute snowball. Mm -hmm. And Stormy has kind of thin, dark gray, rat-colored hair. She's a little more cautious, you know, because I think People would see her and be like, that's a rat, that's a pest. But Jem looks more like a cute pet, so I think she Mm -hmm. expects better treatment, you know? Stormy's seen the darker side of humanity. Exactly, and so I don't know how Stormy's going to feel about an episode about the KKK. We're going to go even deeper into white supremacy here. Yeah. But, you know, they're supportive of me, mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. that's the rat report. You know, it's funny about rats because some Adam Driver detractors have compared Adam Driver to different rodents because of his unusual features. Yeah, rat face is a thing people say. I guess I find that kind of cute Yeah. sometimes. Yeah. 
I think I'm coming around on the rats just by virtue of their similarity to Adam Driver, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it seems like there's a parallel. Well, great. I'm so glad they're doing well. <laughs> yeah. They, they do work in their little cage. They like paper and to rip it up and make their nests. And they have a, a dish of food, which is a, actually an old ashtray that was my dad's. <laughs> they cover it up with little scraps of fabric. They cover it up with everything, like they're hiding it. They're so, hiding their food. Yeah, they have their little jobs they do around their house. You know, they keep busy. That's great. Yeah. And they keep you company when you're working. Yeah, I like them. And we have an air purifier now. There's no smells. If oh. you ever smell a cage, you just turn it on and smells go away. It's like magic. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you have any smells you need to get rid of? Well, it's funny. Like a basement? Should... Yes, our basement does. And also our basement smells, I don't know if this happens to you, but... It just smells a little bit in the spring and the fall. It has like a, I don't know, I think it's just because the ground is like warming up or cooling down or something and there's like a basement smell and it drives, also it's where our cat's litter box is and it drives me crazy. And I bought like three different air purifiers and none of them, so we're gonna have to confer about your brand preference because I've never found one that really does the job. Peter. Uh is a good researcher of products. Mm -hmm. I don't do it like I'll go on to Amazon and I know Amazon is evil, but, and if it's obvious what to get, I'll get that. Oh my God, there's an amazing bird. Look back there. It's a woodpecker. Oh, it's a pileated woodpecker. It's beautiful. That is so cool. So it's black and white with a little on the back of its head, a little red patch. There's another one. Oh my God. It looks like they're dancing. What were they, like they were yeah, what were oh, they doing? Now they're going to the bird feeder. That is so cool. We saw a blue jay today too. Two oh, blue jays. They're so blue jays are so pretty and also so mean. And they're so big. I like know. their beaks are really big. When I was growing up in Connecticut, there was a blue jay that tormented our cat, and it would come fly down and bop them on the head. <laughs> that's kidding. funny though because cats kill birds a lot. Yeah. That's pretty bold. That is funny. Yeah. But that is mean. And I mean, I've seen crows abusing owls like you wouldn't believe if there's an owl there'll be like five crows around it going rah, rah, like chasing it to other trees they're really they're too smart and they work together they're a team the crows yeah yeah i also hate the canadian geese i will say because of the they're poop mean. they leave everywhere yeah, oh and really mean. mean yeah they're scary yeah you don't want to get too close i can't remember what we were talking about i think we're wrapping up Wrapping up the rat report. Oh, yeah. It's not yeah. hard to say. And so what about some celebrity news? So my celebrity news today is not really Adam Driver related, but I think it fits kind of in the bigger scheme of things I've been thinking about with celebrities. First, I do just want to say that when Liz finishes reading or listening to You're Wrong About, I highly recommend to Liz and to everybody else the uh, You Must Remember This podcast has a series about Polly Platt, who was a producer uh, who worked side by side with Peter Bogdanovich. And if you are a film nerd, you probably know all of this already, but she's vastly undercredited for the work she did. And she worked as a producer for like 30 years. And in the Lolita podcast, actually, I do you remember her? I don't. I feel like I remember that 
she was mentioned. I think the yeah. podcast was mentioned, but what was it about? So they were talking about other portrayals of underage girls in media, and they mentioned Pretty Baby with Brooke Shields, mm-hmm. and um, Polly Platt was the producer, and the Lolita podcast is fascinating uh, and all about the way young girls are treated in Hollywood, but usually they're not represented well, and the host really pulled that one out as one where you can see it from the Brooke Shields character's perspective and how sort of horrifying her experience is. Uh, and she credits Polly Platt with that. So the name was familiar to me. And then getting into her story is just awesome. So that's like a moment in Hollywood in the 70s when there's this whole au- auteur idea about directors. And she's totally bought into that, even though, in fact, she's playing the classic woman role where she's the muse and the helpmate but actually is getting a lot of the work done and is, is really responsible for a lot of the creative vision of films that Peter Bogdanovich takes absolute credit for. Anyway, it's fascinating. And then to move into the 80s, one of my favorite 80s celebrities, although I understand it's not one of Liz's, I can't believe it, Andrew McCarthy, who you might know from Pretty in Pink, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, but also was in uh, a whole lot of other movies. He was in Class, he was in St. Almost Fire. He just released his memoirs, and the book is called Brat, and I just bought it, and I love it. So, yeah, okay, let's get into it. Andrew McCarthy, I feel like he made no impression on me um, in the 80s. Also I mean, in Mannequin, also in Weekend at Bernie's, which okay. he is good-natured about, because it's not the greatest movie ever. And Weekend at Bernie, too. <laughs> I think that's a hilarious premise for a movie, though. I like movies with outlandish premises. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just there were other members of the Brat Pack that I thought were cuter or something. Oh, so cute. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he was like the... So he was like the preppy guy in Pretty in Pink. Blaine. Who liked Molly Ringwald. Yeah, so in Pretty in Pink, you know, there's this kind of love triangle between Molly Ringwald's character, Andy... And Blaine, played by Andrew McCarthy, and Ducky, played by John Cryer. Mm -hmm. Although originally it was supposed to be Matthew Broderick, in case you're interested in that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. He was too cute, though. Too much of a heartthrob. And I think he was too busy. So they they got John Cryer. Although John Cryer is fantastic. I love, everyone loves Ducky. And then also, like, rounding out the cast, Annie Potts plays her kind of older mentor, and they work at this impossibly cool record store. Yes, that was cool. Yeah. And then um, James Spader is like the evil, rich bully, and I love James Spader. Yeah, Spader. I should revisit Pretty in Pink. I feel like I haven't seen it that many times. And it it also is like kind of meshed with 16 Candles. No, so much better than 16 Candles. Better than 16 Candles. And I think, I remember, I really like that she made her own clothes, right? Yes, that's part of the fun is I always love a movie with a makeover, a before and after. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Harkening back to while we're young. And she had a nice dad. A a single dad, of course. Always. But Annie Potts. Molly always has like a close relationship with the dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was a nice dad, but they were really poor, and she had to make her own clothes. Is that a de- the deal? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she's poor, but she has a car, uh-huh. and she's in high school. But she, maybe she paid for it by working at her part-time job at the cool record store with Annie Potts. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. There's not, and then, like, Blaine is the rich 
you know, there's the Richies, and then there's the kids who are literally on the wrong side of the tracks. Like at the beginning, you see a train going by in front of her house. <laughs> My town, I grew up in, had train tracks, and there were two sides, and one side was nicer. Which side were you on? Were you a Richie? No, definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> Once we moved from the trailer to our house, we were. <laughs> Uh, doing better. We were, I mean, we were fine. It's just, a, it's just a small rural town. My best friend in grade school moved away to um, Pennsylvania, and then her comment was like, she realized that everyone in our town was poor, <laughs> kind of, compared to other people with real money. There was definitely a hierarchy in the town. Uh, I mean, to get to the other side of the tracks, you had to like cross the highway. Oh. Without a, there was not a stoplight or anything, so you had to run across this highway. Oh my god! Which we did as kids because that's where the, um, now it's a Dairy Queen, but it was a Tasty Freeze then. But it was always scary. But we could do that. It was in the seventies, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tracks. <laughs> yeah. So I think maybe it would have a lot of meaning to you. But yes. Yeah. Also, she sews a lot of clothes, which I really like. Yes. And she often will like make them from other clothes. I will say... She was upcycling. Yeah, she was upcycling. Yeah, proto-upcycler. Yep. Uh, I will say the dress that she makes for prom is horrible, and it's made of two other dresses that both looked way better before. Oh. Uh, so awful. It's a before and after that's Not, worse. Uh -huh. Give it a thumbs down. I think Isn't it? Is it pink, like really a lot of tulle yeah. and yeah. really poofy? No, it's no, not poofy. No, it's not poofy. modern, uh -huh. but it looks... It looks bad. It's just not good. And she wears, it's just not good. And the, the styling is not good. But aside from that, it's a wonderful movie. And Blaine ultimately makes good. Although, I knew this, but I learned it again from reading the book. In the original ending, he turns out to be a jerk and she ends up with Ducky. But then they, the test audiences didn't like that, so they had to reshoot it. And I didn't know this, but if you look at the final scenes of it of the final one where she does end up with Andrew McCarthy and it's like a, it's very romantic he looks very pale and his mouth looks all like puckery and it turned out they had to pull him away he was in a movie where he played a soldier and he'd had his head shaved and he said they just gave him the super cheap wig to wear so I spent all this time yesterday googling his hair and it does look pretty shitty but I had never noticed it until I read it so see Hollywood memoir also, I love Hollywood memoirs. Yes. They're the best. He also, his first major movie was Class, where he is in, I haven't seen it, but he's in college with Rob Lowe, and he ends up having an affair with Rob Lowe's mom, played by Jacqueline Bissett, and Jackie, and Jackie ended up being like a great booster to him. He stayed with her in Hollywood when he was looking for an agent, and she drove him, because he was too young to rent a car, she drove him to all of his auditions when he was like 19 and the casting agent would be like, so what are you doing here? And he'd be like, well, Jacqueline Bissett is waiting outside, you know, and they would always be really impressed. So. They, they were a couple or just friends? No, they were just friends. Oh, she had nice. a live-in boyfriend who um, was a Russian defector ballet dancer who you probably remember from Money Pit. He was the Russian conductor. Did you ever see Money Pit? Yeah, but just once yeah. a long time ago. No, I've seen that movie eight million times too. Anyway, <laughs> so he lived there too, and he made his own vodka and kept it in the freezer and later died of complications from alcoholism. But uh, yeah, so Andrew McCarthy just lived in their back bedroom, and she would drive him to her auditions and meetings with agents and 
blow everyone's mind and yeah so I'm just really into all of the Hollywood gas from the 80s I recommend it so do you think that if Matthew Broderick would have played Ducky would people have accepted them getting together oh that's a good question you know maybe yeah I don't know did he get a girlfriend of his own in the end? I feel like when there's yeah. a sidekick in 80s movies that has a crush on someone who likes someone else, then in the end they get a girlfriend too. I'm thinking of Better Off Dead, uh, which is the 80s oh. movie I uh, <laughs> know Jack the best. <laughs> my other 80s one. I have so many. Last night I was like babbling on to my husband about how much I love Andrew McCarthy, and I was like, he was my favorite. But then... I remembered that Michael J. Fox was my favorite, but then I remembered that John Cusack was my favorite. There were just a lot of cute boys yeah. of movies at so that time. Cute. So John Cryer's character at the end of Pretty in Pink, after he valiantly encourages Andy to run after Blaine, which means he's alone at the prom, is just standing there looking awkward, and then Christy Swanson from... Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, is dancing and she's like, I like you. And she's like checking him out and she's like pointing at him and he, in a perfect ducky moment, points to himself and he mouths, mwah. And then he like <laughs> looks to the camera and he goes and dances with her. And she's in this like frothy 80s peach dress, you know, with puffy sleeves. So it is suggested that he ends up with her. So is there anything in Pretty in Pink that is going to really disturb me if I watch now as there is in 16 Candles and no, Back to the Future? Okay. No, because there's, yeah, so in 16 Candles, for example, there's some really problematic racial stereotypes. And in Pretty in Pink, there's no people of color. We <laughs> so, white people. Okay. So, so the big conflict is between whether or not you're rich or slightly poorer, uh -huh. is what it seems. But okay. also James Spader, I mean as Steph is like the best rich bad guy ever and he's H.O.T. I yeah I want to see it and okay here's another question is it appropriate for eight-year-olds that see quite a bit of stuff I'm sure I saw it when I was about eight okay I had it on video cassette and I watched it eight million times and I, I also had the soundtrack on tape I think that's a, a window of time when you just watch movies over and over and they really stick with you. Mm -hmm. I feel like once you get into heavy teenager life, there wasn't as much of that. But when I was a little younger, um, like me and my cousins would watch certain movies over and over and over again before you sort of get a like social life outside, yeah. you know, it's like me, the cousins and Airplane and Better Off Dead and mm -hmm. Top Secret and we would watch that stuff all the time. Yeah, my sister and I definitely watch Pretty in Pink a lot. And I think you're right. I think what happens, actually, is as you start to get a social life, then the movies that you watch over and over again give way to the music you listen to over and over, and then uh -huh. it gets burned on your brain, and that's that's what happens instead. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing that's fun about Pretty in Pink is that they're teenagers, but like... Andy hangs out at this bar all the time where there's awesome music playing with the Annie Potts character. There's a lot more like intergenerational. It's the same with Back to the Future. Nobody's like, how come this 40-year-old woman is hanging out with this 17-year-old at a bar? But that's like what they do. And there's like impossibly good music playing. And Andrew Dice Clay is the, the bouncer at the door. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and no, there's no conversation about that. It just seems normal. So when I watched that, I was like, surely when I'm 17, I also will be going to bars with like my cool older friends and, you know, listening to awesome music. Where is it supposed to be set? Well, I think most John Hughes movies are somewhere in Chicago land. Okay. That's, I'm not sure. I mean, there were states where the drinking age was 18. It is acknowledged that Andy, the Molly Ringwald character, is, is underage and that Andrew Dice Clay just lets her in. But Ducky, played by John Cryer, can't get in. So he has to sit outside chit-chatting with Andrew Dice Clay and asking Andrew Dice Clay why he won't let him in. So you need to connect. Yeah. But again, when I watched it, I felt that I would be like Andy going to these venues with my cool older friends and Andrew Dice Clay would let me in. Yeah, you definitely would. No question. And not your friend, I your question like boyfriend. Yeah. yeah, your platonic male friend. Yeah. Couldn't get in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could have been a thing of like, the girls can get in because, totally. you know. Because they have cute clothes that they make themselves. Yeah. I haven't seen Pretty in Pink in a long time. So good. Need to see it. And then we can revisit about whether or not you love it, uh, Andrew McCarthy. He wrote he's, his own memoir, do you think? I think he's actually a better writer than he is an actor. He talks about learning his method. He went to acting school in NYU. He, yeah, he's not a great actor, but act, he, I haven't gotten to this part yet, but there was a point where he was done with acting, and he's been a travel writer for years now. He does not overestimate his intelligence by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, he's kind of, he has a good sense of humor. I mean, Weekend at Bernie's, too, is not a great movie, and he makes a little joke about how, you know, that one acting teacher who didn't believe in him should have seen his great acting chops in Weekend at Bernie's, too. So... <laughs> Hollywood gossip. It's good. All right. Recommend. Did you say the name of the book? It's called Brat. Oh, yes, 80. you did. I think yeah. It's called Brat and 80s Story because, you know, he was a member of the Brat Pack. It is interesting because both he and Molly Ringwald just totally, like, cut out of that whole scene. You know, she moved to France and became a jazz singer, which, whatever. But She did. Mm. Yeah. She's done. He's done. Roblo Emilio Estevez, still in it. What does Emilio Estevez do these days? I think movie there's thing. just a new what's what's the hockey movie about the ducks? Mighty the Mighty Ducks. ducks? I, there's a new Mighty Ducks movie. It just came out on Netflix. What number is it? I think it's three. Mighty Ducks three. Yeah. All right, that has a Minnesota connection or something. Yes. It's set here. Yes. Well, that's cute. Oh, I don't think I ever saw any of those. What about Charlie Sheen? Well. What about C. Thomas Thomas C. Howell? Which one is that? I think he might have been in The Outsiders, maybe St. Elmo's Fire. And he was in The Hitcher. It's a bad movie, but it's kind yeah. of funny as a terrible horror movie from the 80s. Oh, yeah, I can't watch He was it. cute, though. I don't watch horror movies. Judd Nelson, don't know what he's doing. Right, That right. little leany skinny guy who was in the blonde one, the little skinny guy. You know, the little blonde. Yes. Yeah, he got, he got Michael Hall, Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, yeah. so he, and then he got all big and Yeah, yeah. But he pops up every once in a while. I just watched The Flight Attendant. I don't know if you watched that. No, I want to see that. Really good. He's in it. He plays Rosie Perez's husband. Oh, okay. Yeah, I love, Rosie Perez is in a lot. She's in Search Party. That's cool. What about? She's also in the Jim Jarmusch movie that we watched. Yeah. She's just working jobs. I love, I love that. Yeah, she's got a Spike Lee connection. Um, totally. What about Ali Sheedy? How I about wonder her? What, she's I wonder. Doing. what about the girl who is in some kind of wonderful? 
Yeah. Let's list every 80s actor. Leah Thompson, I feel like she... Wait, is she the redhead? She's the one that he wants. Eric Stoltz. There's the blonde one. The drummer? Yeah. The, the, the tomboy. Yeah, the tomboy. And then the other one who he wants to be with is Leah Thompson, who plays the mom in Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah. I don't think she's doing anything. Yeah, where are they now? Okay, so any news about Adam Driver this week? Something on Reddit popped up about that movie that he's in when he's really young and he's wearing shorts and everyone can't believe his shorts. We have to look it up. He plays like a photographer or an archaeologist or something and he wears glasses and shorts. Cute. But nothing on the Reddit. Okay. Should we dive into Black yeah. Klansman? Yeah. I saw Black Klansman in the theater. Oh, I didn't Oddly. Know that. Yeah. I accompanied... Peter on a work trip to New Orleans. We're like, let's go to a movie. We can, we're free to go to a movie. So that's what we saw. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So it was in 2018, two years after Trump got elected. Spike Lee was out right on the Trump thing from day one. And I was just like, wow. And it got so much worse yeah. in two years. At that point, we had the Unite the Right rally footage was shown at the end of the movie. And I mean, I was just gutted and devastated after seeing that. And it still got so much worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the coronavirus obviously wasn't on anybody's radar. I mean, it's a good movie. Yes, I agree. I looked up a lot of reviews afterwards, and a lot of critics said this is one of his best. I'm not a Spike Lee scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but it does seem that it's a really tight story. The commentary is, you know, really in service of it. And then just the way he does it and the way that, and I think all the actors are great in it. It's a true success. <laughs> Should have got Best Picture. It lost out to a Green Book. Oh, God. Isn't it? And I think Spike Lee, like, lost it at the Oscars. I didn't see Green Book because it sounded like... Stupid. A dumb, yeah, white savior narrative racist movie that... Yeah, no thank you. I don't know if that can happen again. It's just so obvious, a movie like that versus a movie like Black Klansman. Spike Lee's never won Best Director or Best Picture. He doesn't seem to be slowing down, though. No, his time he's is still coming. You know, Aretha Franklin's been having a moment because there's this new mini series about her that my husband and I watched, and they allude to this uh, really famous live gospel show that she performed at a church. And I'm getting to the Spike Lee connection because after we watched the mini series, which is okay, although the actor who plays her dad, whose name I can't remember now, is awesome. The documentary came out of the making of this gospel concert, and it's great. And Spike Lee produced it. Is my point. Very so cool. he's been. Mm-hmm. So one of the things he's been doing a lot of documentaries lately, like, and this is one of his first sort of feature films in a while. Let's talk about Adam Driver's look in it. Yeah. Should we? I yeah. think this is one of his best looks. He wears a lot of flannel shirts. Yeah, he looks like trucker yeah. hat, shaggy hair. He's an undercover detective. And he is the one who infiltrates the clan. So you hear him saying a lot of really disturbing racist things. I think it was more of a surprise to a lot of people to realize that people talk that way. I think we know that now. I'm just wondering about myself because you're kind of like, oh, white supremacist, that's a thing. But you don't really know what they say. I don't know. Since then, I've learned a lot about it. I feel like I'm a lot more clued into the ideas and... That yeah. this is a real thing. When I was watching it, I was thinking about another pot. 
I feel like we could have a podcast about our favorite podcast, but of I was course. thinking about another one of my favorite podcasts, Slow Burn. Oh, yeah. Did you listen to the season about David Duke? I did. Mm-hmm. I did, too. So one of the things that I also was thinking about when I was watching this is, even though the story is about the Black Klansman, Ron Stallworth, who's this real person, most of the characters in the movie are white. You can tell that Spike Lee is also kind of trying to figure out his portrayal of the white supremacist is, I think, more nuanced than you might expect. And there's a lot of time spent on who those characters are and what's motivating them. And I thought that was really interesting. I mean, as nuanced as it can be with this just horrible, stupid ideology. But the David Duke character is really interesting. And I was thinking about Slow Burn a lot because so many things about the way that Tober Grace portrays him are true and real to who he was. So he talks a lot about white power and Spike Lee juxtaposes a lot of his commentary with commentary by Kwame Ture where he talks about black power and there's this weird, you can see that David Duke is kind of stealing some of his rhetoric, his rhetorical flourishes for his own stuff and the fact that David Duke is just so kind of cute and respectable and well-spoken and just really smooth is a really interesting part of the story and and all true and I was reading Ron Stallworth really did have long conversations with David Duke and David Duke really did tell him things like he could tell if you were white or not because if you were black you would say R instead of R and there would be all these other ways of speaking that he would be able to tell that you were black he did all of that stuff in Slow Burn I do remember he would develop relationships with people where he would just talk to them on the phone a lot and he had this neediness and also this way of sort of practicing his his speech lines with just random people. I thought that was a really interesting part of the movie, and I don't know how I got started on that. Well, David Duke uh, is a character in the movie, yeah. and when I listened to that slow burn about David Duke, yeah, I was just like, this is 100% MAGA stuff. Yeah. He said America first all the time, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, I think Trump says that, and make America great again mm-hmm. is just kind of a spin on that, and the whole idea is making white supremacy palatable mm-hmm. to people who don't want to seem like they're violent and racist, yeah. and but how to promote these same ideas. Yeah, I don't know if this just seeped into Donald Trump, but he's a pure they're David so... Duke protege. Absolutely. Yeah, that was super relevant. It is funny, the theme of tricking a racist, because, I mean, their ideas are really based on nothing. And from watching this, the KKK, to me, seems like a cult. I don't know if people ever think of it like a cult. And, like, David Duke was, like, the cult leader. Mm -hmm. So he didn't wear the robes very much. I mean, they say he never did in the movie, but I did see a thing, like... He, yeah. he used to, and then he sort of stopped yeah. wearing the robes. And he would never have his picture taken in the robes. And so these robes, <laughs> this is so weird to me that the cross burnings, okay, so that you can be a group, you wear these crazy, scary-looking white robes and burn crosses, but yet Christians aren't like, oh my God, it's Satanists. Mm-hmm. They're just like, it's fine, you burn a cross. Like, what if someone burned a cross at a Black Lives Matter rally? They would lose their mind. So I just don't see how you can burn a cross and have that seem unchristian. But they're all about being Christian. I know. I mean, it's like burning a flag. Yeah. I mean, it's a sign of it it's disrespectful to that thing, right? Yeah. So I don't get how the cross thing 
burning crap. But it's just these rituals. I mean, if not a cult, I mean, it definitely seems like a religion. Yes. Uh, yeah. And all these beliefs that they have. And also it reminds me of a cult in that if you're joining a cult, I mean, you're not intentionally joining a cult, but at some point you'll, ha- you'll have to do something bad and then you like psychologically have to double down on this belief to justify this if say you joined a cult and you left your family you maybe left children behind you have to psychologically to justify that double down on the beliefs mm-hmm. otherwise you can't stay in that cult right. you have to because you did something horrible or you did something horrible and then you feel like you can't be accepted back into regular society again. It's very likely that you've done something horrible if you're in the KKK. At least you represent something horrible and are talking about it all the time. I mean, when I was watching it, a lot of the time it just seemed like a bunch of dudes who had nothing better to do and were just sitting around smoking and talking. Mm-hmm. And, and playing with guns. And playing with guns. But weapons. Like, they just needed uh, something to do. And that they needed a community, and that was the community that they found. You know, Or they're playing pool, or playing with guns, or whatever. There was a sort of lonely aimlessness to a lot of the people who were there, and I think that's even one thing that the Ron Stallworth character says at the beginning. The first time that Adam Driver's character goes to meet the clan, this creepy, trigger-happy guy, Felix, picks him up and then drives him to this other bar to meet the leader. And, and on the way, he's, he says something like, I, I also just want that camaraderie or that community or something along those lines. And it, and it seems like a lot of them are just kind of lost souls, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's why people, you know, on the Internet get involved in hate groups. Yeah. Because they feel accepted. People saying, join our group. You, you fit in here. You belong here. And that sense of belonging is what they're really after. And then you, like, accept these beliefs mm-hmm. as a part of it. I mean, sometimes maybe it goes the other way, but... Do you want to talk a little bit more about Flip, the Adam Driver character, and also about his performance? Because he did win an, he won an Oscar for it, I think, right? Oh, yeah, Best Supporting Actor. I mean, it was a great performance because he played his character as the detective, and then he also played a second character as he was undercover. It's a performance within a performance. Within a performance. Yeah, that sounds very easy to say, but... <laughs> I thought it was great, of course. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking so much about the way the movie was constructed. There's some truth in some fiction. There was, of course, a, a real flip character, but he wasn't involved in the movie production at all. Ron Stallworth was. And there were actually two flips in real life. He had mm. two kind of white alter egos who would go in. They added the Jewish part, so his character is Jewish, but he says in several points, you know, it didn't mean anything to me when I was a kid, but he wears a Star of David necklace, and obviously he takes that off. In addition to him performing the role of this sort of white supremacist, he's also grappling with his own identity, and actually both he and the real Ron Stallworth are grappling with their identity, because Ron... The black Ron Stallworth is dating this woman who's part of a black student congress, I think is, she's the Black president. student union. Yeah. And she's a fictional character. And she's a fictional character, and she's beautiful, mm-hmm. Patrice. And so he's concealing his identity from her. She keeps asking him if he's a pig. And he's like, no, no, I work in construction, blah, blah, blah. But you Quick know, aside here, this reminds me of the movie Point Break. Yeah. Where if you're undercover, you can't date undercover because you're lying to the person the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to 
someday have to tell them and they'll feel totally betrayed. And in point break, they might get kidnapped by the bad guys totally. in Mexico or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it sort of made no sense at that point. But anyway, I had a problem with him dating her undercover. Oh, she's so cute. Yeah, yeah. So he's dating this woman, Patrice, and he's kind of walking this weird line where he's a black cop and he doesn't always relate well to the to all of his white cop colleagues but at the same time when he's out with Patrice or he encounters Patrice's friends they don't really trust him either because they just feel like he's not black enough he's hiding something and then with the flip character because he's Jewish initially he's like no no I, this is just my job like I'm just doing my job this guy is a rookie, like it's a crusade for him, but not for me. I'm just doing my job. But then when Ron Stallworth gets his clan ID card, he's kind of reckoning with it. And there's a scene where Ron gives him the ID card and he like looks at it and he's like, I don't want this. And he gives it back. It's like a performance within a performance. And also that whole identity thing, they just mirror each other throughout. I thought they were both great. Did you notice who the black Ron Stallworth was mm -hmm. in real life? Denzel Washington's son. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's his name son. is John, what's John David Washington. John David Washington. Mm -hmm. He did a great job. He had mm -hmm. great hair. He had great. great karate chop moves that were really funny. Yeah, it was, he was kind of funny. I did notice any time he had an action scene, he'd always stop and like pat his hair afterwards mm -hmm. and kind of like look around. And as someone who cares a lot about hair, mm -hmm. I, I appreciated that little gesture. Yeah, this movie's full of amazing hair. Mm -hmm. I read a book called Culture Warlords. Have you heard of this at all? No. An extremely brave author named Talia Lavin, and she went undercover on white supremacist incel chat rooms and stuff like that, and just found out what they say and wrote a book about it. She is so brave. Her book really educated me on the whole connection between anti-black racism and hatred of Jewish people, mm -hmm. where the idea is, and I hesitate to even repeat these kind of ideas, that there's a global Jewish conspiracy to replace other white people with non-white people. The belief is that black people and other people of color are inferior. Non-Jewish white people are as strong and good and smart as them. It's like a fair fight between them. But if the Jews replace those white people with people of color, then the Jews will be more easily able to control everything in the world. And that's how it links together. Did you know about that? No, I, I don't get it. So they hate everyone. They hate Jews, black people, other people of color. That linked it together for me in understanding this ideology, I guess. Hmm, interesting. Still kind of... <laughs> yeah, like I don't want to be like, have you seen the Saturday Night Live sketch when Trump wins the election and there's and Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle, yeah. they're like two black guys and there's all these white people that are like, what? America is racist? And yeah. they're like, uh-huh. <laughs> and then, I don't want to be that person, but you know, I am learning, have learned more about white supremacy yeah. in the last few years, well, yeah. since, especially since Trump got elected. Yeah, I mean, I think watching the movie, it, it's not subtle the way they link the rhetoric and, and the behaviors of this, this group of people with modern Americans. It's not different at all. It's kind of horrifying. When I was watching it, there were a lot of production creative choices that I thought were really compelling. And did you notice anything about the way the movie was made or any of the sort of aesthetic choices that 
stuck with you? Are you thinking of like the hallway scene with the guns? No, when... say more about that. <laughs> Backing up one step, did you watch black exploitation movies ever? Are you a fan? I've seen Superfly, but I will say honestly, I was in college and I was really high. So <laughs> I, don't really remember it. I just remember being like, this is awesome. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. I definitely went through a phase where I watched a bunch and I would want to revisit them. And there were a lot of references to black exploitation. Mm-hmm. And almost it was like an ad for a bunch of yeah. movies. They'd show posters and it seems like Spike Lee is trying to put that out there, raise awareness a little bit about yeah. this cool genre of movies. I'm sure there's a ton of problematic things in them, but also a celebration of blackness and black culture. There was one scene where Ron and Patrice, someone knocks at their door, or they think the clan is there, and they both have guns, and then they're in, they go out of the apartment into the hallway, and I I guess... That's a spike, did you look that up? Yeah, they're like on a dolly, where... It's a double dolly shot. A, a double dolly shot. That was cool. There were a lot of moments like that that were really fun and joyful. Yes. It wasn't all about suffering. Yeah, I looked up that double dolly shot thing, and he uses it a lot. He used it in Malcolm X, too. There's a scene where Denzel Washington... I haven't seen that movie for ages, but there's a scene where Malcolm X is walking to the site where he's going to be assassinated, and he, it's a double dolly shot, too, and it counts like he's floating, and it has this cool action. It's joyful and powerful, and the way he frames them, they just look awesome too. Like they both have their natural hair, and they look really fierce, and they kind of float down the hallway of the apartment like superheroes. And they look like a black exploitation poster. Yeah. When you say double dolly, so the actors are on a dolly, and the camera yes. is that the second yeah. dolly? And okay. it's going down a track, and so they have this floating quality to them. Okay, so they're like simultaneously mm-hmm. backing up. Yeah. yeah, it's a cool effect. I was thinking of at the beginning of the movie, the Ron Stallworth character has to go to a Kwame Touré, aka Stokely Carmichael event, and he's there to just kind of watch for the cops, but he's sort of moved by everything that Kwame Touré is saying, and Kwame Touré talks a lot about beauty and black beauty and as he's talking about it the camera goes and kind of does these almost like portraits yeah that was I like that I liked it too I was reading about it and they put a lot of work because those all of those extras were in the crowd and for some reason they were filming their portraits at the same time as they were filming the crowd scene so they had a really hard time with continuity because they would pull the extras out and then they would go to crowd shots and the extras wouldn't be there because they were doing the portraits so they had a really hard time kind of patching it together but they put a lot of work into to doing that and I and that also to me was that like sort of joyful fun little flourish along the way that I really liked. Yeah, where it's like, this is a movie. Everything wasn't portrayed super realistically like it was in the report. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, Spike Lee, I think he's just such a good director and just can do everything. And he can do a, a movie about the clan and also make it fun. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, you just feel everything in this movie, yeah. you know, you're like loving it and then completely devastated and completely gutted and you learn something. Yeah, I thought I, I loved it. What did you think about his representation of the cops? I mean, the cops were on the whole pretty positive. There was one racist cop, the guy that's like super obviously racist and harasses Ron. He was the only one really. 
Yeah. The I mean, rest of them seemed like they were pretty tight and they were all kind of on the same side. Yes. Yeah. I saw a quote from Spike Lee saying he didn't, I don't know if uh, his ideas have changed at all now, but that he wasn't going to say every cop was bad. It did kind of show that the institution of policing, I don't know if it showed this or not, is in and of itself racist. Or it was more like there was one really racist cop, more like a bad apple model. The whole time I was watching it, I was like, are we really doing this? Or are we making them all buddies now, except for that one bad guy? I did have some questions about it. So I Googled it and he got a lot, not a lot, but there's one um, director in particular who criticized his portrayal of the cops a lot. His name is Boots something. He's a filmmaker. He made Sorry to Bother You, which is a movie that came out a few years ago. And his concern was exactly that is that like oh there's just one bad apple like cops aren't wrong so then i did a little more digging and spike lee was paid by the nypd two hundred thousand dollars to help launch a policing program in 2018 and he responded to the criticism saying like look at my record you know i've i've been critical of cops plenty but we need cops so he has kind of an interesting take on that this is a spoiler, but there's a super fun scene at the end. Do you want to describe it when they're all at the bar? Oh, they set up the, so they set up the racist cop. I, th- I thought this seemed really unrealistic, I yeah, guess. It was very satisfying, though. Mm-hmm. There were a few, yeah. like, sati- really satisfying gotchas at the end that I liked, but go on. Sorry. Yeah, I think, you know, and that's interesting because kind of like in Get Out, Jordan Peele was a producer on this movie. Yeah. The original ending of that movie was he was just going to be in jail for the rest of his life. The guy who killed the evil family, spoilers, that he got pulled over by real cops and then he was just going to be in jail. And that's how the movie was going to end. But then after Trump got elected, Jordan Peele was like, I can't do it. It's too dark. This has to have a happier ending Mm -hmm. where they just get away. And I feel like it was a similar thing happening in Black Klansman. So someone wears a wire. Is it Adam Driver? There was a lot of wearing. I think everyone's wearing wire. I think Ron, (laughs) Black Ron is wearing a wire. And then the rest of them, I think, are listening. There's a lot of wearing a wire in this movie, Mm -hmm. which you got to love that. So what do they do? They get him to talk about his police brutality. And then the other, like the head cops rush in and say, you're fired. Has this ever happened where a real cop was disciplined for being racist? It seems like it hasn't happened, but it was like a happy ending where you get rid of the bad racist cop. Yeah. And everyone's friends again. And then all the non-racist cops can be friends. Right. They kind of trick him into admitting that he pulled over the Patrice character and felt her up under false pretenses and was just sort of gross. And he was like, I can do that any day I want. Like, that's what I do. Blah, blah, blah. Did you get it? You get it? Something like that. And they're like, yeah, we got it. And then they look over at the next booth and they're like to Adam Driver, did you get it? And they're like, we got it. And then they're like, chief, did you get it? We got it. You yeah. Know? And everyone's excited and they have their little celebration and they're all drinking their beers together. Yeah. It's a portrayal of what could happen instead of like the police just only covering up for each other. What could happen if racism and police brutality was not allowed within the police force? What would it be like? It would be awesome. You know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be no police or like there wouldn't be police. 
Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. This doesn't exist, but what if it did? Instead of a feeling of if police break ranks, will the world come to an end Mm -hmm. or not? But we did kind of see that in the Derek Chauvin trial. Mm-hmm. And it was very amazing. People within the police department saying that shouldn't have happened. That should never have oh, happened. Yeah, although right? it stands, I mean, we'll still see if they were putting him into that bad apple model yeah. or if there's any real reform. And that, I guess yeah. that's what happens with this, too, because there's a scene earlier where Black Ron Stallworth is saying to flip and the guy who does the all the wire mics Like, why don't you do something about it? Because it turns out this bad cop also killed a black kid a few years ago, which is based on the true story. They're like, what do you want us to do? We're a family, you know, bad apples and good apples. Like, I'm not going to go turn this guy into the chief because of that. That We don't do that. So then clearly, like, they've kind of come around on that, but it's still making it about the individual instead of the police culture or something. Yeah, and the Klan members were not cops. Where I think what we're looking at now is, are the cops themselves in white supremacist groups? Yeah, that's true. Although the Klan members are military. Remember, there's there's these two mysterious Klan members, but that are also active intelligence. Like, that's how they get all the bomb material. They try, so spoiler again, but the Klan tries to bomb the Black Student Union house and the all of the bomb materials, the explosives, come from somebody who works for the government. Remember, they find, there's a scene where Ron Stoller talks right, to right. someone in the FBI. And they work like, for NORAD. Yeah. What is that exactly? I don't know. Something real governmenty. Yeah. NORAD bunker is in Colorado. The most secure facility in the world. It's a bunker outside Colorado Springs. It's a nuclear watch, but I still don't know what that acronym means. Something bad, something military, nuclear, scary. So what did you think of the wife of this clan guy, Felix? He, his, the, was her name Connie? Uh, yeah, I think so. So the actor for Felix was a Finnish guy. Did you read this at all? No. From Finland. His name is like, has a lot of A's with, with circles above them. <laughs> he was really determined to get this role. And when he auditioned, it was all in an American accent. He didn't say he was from Finland or switch accents or anything and so then when Spike Lee found out he was Finnish he was so impressed that he cast him right away anyway very convincing Felix's wife was a part of it so the clan is one big boys club mm-hmm. I mean it's all men Felix's wife wants in too she tries to be as racist as she can and she tries to fit in with these guys and they just make fun of her and Treat her as a maid, basically, to yeah. like bring them snacks. But then she gets a job to uh, put the bomb in her purse. Mm-hmm. And so she's super psyched about finally being included. She tries to plant the bomb, but Ron had alerted the cops and like sent a lot of cops down there. So then she tries to kill Patrice. She tries to put the bomb in her mailbox, but it's too big. So then she puts it by her car. And then this is another sort of happy ending. A car with Felix, the bomb guy, and the the really dumb guy drive up and the bomb explodes at that moment. Ivanhoe, is that the name Ivanhoe, of the really dumb yeah. guy? He's also uh, the guy in I, Tanya, the really dumb guy who assaults Nancy Kerrigan. I was like, he seems familiar, like playing a like really dumb guy into violent stuff. 
Anyway, they all died. Oh, I didn't think they died. I they thought died. they got arrested. Oh. They died, and they, Connie, Connie got arrested. Yeah, Connie gets arrested. And she's apparently going to go to prison. And at the end, they're like, too bad about Connie. Yeah, there are very few women. There's this one scene where the clan is all eating lunch with David Duke, and there are wives there, but they're so peripheral. It's all dudes. Well, it's just as patriarchal as it is. Yeah. White supremacist. But there are women involved in white supremacy movements. And I read another yeah. book related to this called Sisters in Hate. Oh, you've been doing a lot of reading. I read my white supremacy books, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of them, this is the most interesting person, and I feel like I've possibly heard her on a podcast also. She got involved with hate groups. It feels like it's the same story over and over. Someone who's socially awkward. I think she identifies as like having Asperger's or something. Just never feeling like you fit in and then finding these people on the internet that finally accept you if they just happen to go along with all this hate stuff. So she was involved in it and she was the most honest about it because she had left the group. And then there were a couple other women who are basically like social media celebrities that are really into having a lot of kids because white people have to have a lot of kids. And it's just this thing where people take step after step and eventually they're just accepting all of these beliefs. So there are women in, involved in it for sure, especially enforcing white supremacy in different ways. So I liked that choice of including a woman. I mean, I think Spike Lee's not really a super feminist guy. Well, I was going to say that too. <laughs> I mean, I will say the only other woman who really has a role is the Patrice character mm -hmm. and Patrice is beautiful and noble and also kind of one-dimensional you mm -hmm. know I did wonder too I mean Connie just physically isn't very attractive and she seems kind of stupid I don't think Spike Lee has a great track record with his portrayal of a woman yeah definitely not when I read Spike Lee's Wikipedia page it was a little disheartening. Spikely <laughs> is a boomer and he's done great. He's a great director. I love his movies. Do the Right Thing is one of my favorite movies of all time also. I love that movie. I think it's so rich. And Rosie Perez in that is just darling. Well I read something on this page that she didn't want to do the nude oh. scenes and she was they didn't show her face in that because she was crying. Oh my god. Yeah like she really didn't want to do it. I don't know if she had to do it, so so that's pretty grim. So yeah, Spike Lee, great director, also really into sports, and defender of Woody Allen, like good pal of Woody Allen. He's just totally plugged into a certain generation of filmmakers. He's a artistic director of at NYU and... Mm -hmm. He's been teaching for years. Yeah. He teaches at NYU. He, um, actually, one other little thing that I read in reviews, apparently there's a scene when Ron, white Ron, is joins the clan and David Duke does this whole initiation ceremony. So apparently stuff like that really did happen, and afterwards they're watching Triumph of the Will. D.W. Griffith, famous director, supposedly revived the clan. Uh, in Birth the, of a Nation? Birth of a Nation. Mm -hmm. Sorry, sorry. What's Triumph of that's the Will? That's a Nazi movie. That's a, oh, oh. That's a Nazi propaganda movie. No. <laughs> the Nazi movies, they're so hard to keep. <laughs> yeah. So Birth of a Nation, D.W. Griffith really sort of revived the Klan in the 20s, but also by many people, you know, D.W. Griffith knew a lot of 
filmmaking tricks and apparently one of them was these sort of side-by-side -side cuts where they would show one thing and then show another scene but by the virtue of the way it's edited it draws direct comparison so in this one they have the side-by-side -side of all the clans members watching birth of a nation and then they cut to the harry belafonte character telling this horrible true story about this young man in texas who was just brutally crucified for a supposed altered you know problem with a white woman and the way they cut them together the crowd behavior and everything else draws these weird comparisons but apparently that's a dw griffith trick that anybody who knows anything about film history would know so there's just like a lot of smart flourishes and him showing off a little bit as a director but it's also really effective and I really enjoyed that. And I wanted to say something else about D.W. Griffith, but I can't remember what it was. The movie was famously shown at the White House by, yeah. was it Woodrow Wilson? Mm -hmm. Who's a racist. A total racist. Spike Lee's enraged and should be, everyone should be enraged that just in the film that this movie was still taught in film school all the time without yeah. anyone saying anything about the racist stuff in it. It was just, yeah, glossed over or not mentioned at all. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. I thought that scene was so interesting because I felt like that was where Adam Driver really was doing a lot of work as an actor. Because when you're watching him, you're like, is he into this? Like at one point yeah. he stands up and cheers. And there are a couple times too when the hood is over his face and you can just see his eyes. And when you're looking at him, I was wondering like, what is Flip thinking? Yeah, that's what I think is really chilling and scary about it. When you are living this out, does that affect you? Even if you're in the right place when you start, I mean, just being in it, being a social human being, people just kind of copy each other and it would be hard to deprogram yourself. It would take a lot of mental energy. Yeah. That, I mean, that would just suck. I would not want to do that. That scene, okay, so when they're in the robes and David Duke has this, like, holy water thing. I mean, yeah. that was so Catholic. Like, I was raised Catholic. I mean, it looked like church to me. Just mm -hmm. like he would dip this thing in the water and then it was like a baptism. Yeah. Which just made it... water on them. Yeah, it made it seem like more of a church and a cult than anything else. I mean, separation of church and state, this, like crazy satanist church cult shouldn't be a huge influence on our politics yeah and our government and like, this is wrong this is really bad yeah so that's bad yeah that I, yeah that scene is is chilling it was just like a religious rite r-i-t-e and then they like have this party after like a dinner this is like a baptism and it's at a church isn't and the it? ladies are i think it was a yeah, I don't, it seems it's like... It's at something. Yeah, I, it's hard to tell. And the ladies are waiting outside. And then the other funny, not funny, but weird and also true, Ron Stallworth is kind of like looking through the window because he's been assigned security detail for David Duke. And so he has to sit outside too. So he's watching them do this weird stuff, but he's not allowed inside. So the ladies are outside, he's outside, but they're all like huddled waiting at the door. And he's kind of, he's trolling them like David Duke. This couldn't happen in real life. I think he probably would have gotten killed. He did do it in real life. He did? Yeah. Okay, so this is what he did. He's like, no one will believe this. Can you take a picture of me with you guys? So Ron, the black guy, 
and David Duke and some other I think it was clan the guy. Walter who was like the head of the local chapter or something. Yeah, and so right before the picture's taken, he puts his arms around them, and then they're like, what did you just do? And then they're like enraged. And they like jump away from him. So he did that, he but really then he was like, it. I'm a cop. Do you want to assault a police officer? So he was... I was. I read some interviews with the real Ron Stallworth, and apparently he really did that, except... This is weird. He says he lost the picture in the move, in a move. So maybe he did, or maybe it was just a little bravado, because he's like a 25-year-old man. He has something to prove, but he does have that. He says he really did it. He does have that power of he is a cop, so there he does have certain protections mm-hmm. than an average person would have. Mm-hmm. If he wasn't a cop, he would have got killed for sure. He never yeah. could have done that. And the David Duke character says to him, like, come down to Louisiana and try that. See if you can do that as a cop down here. Down I, f- here. I feel like that. W- I heard that in either in the David Duke podcast or another podcast, this comment of see how we do it in Louisiana, which chills me to the bone. It's that really good. scares me. Yeah. yeah. Was there any reaction when you saw it in the theater when David Duke says that stuff? In the Slate podcast, it's really clear that a person like David Duke needed kind of a weird political system like they have in Louisiana and it's kind of a unique place where he could build his support. Was there any kind of reaction when he said stuff like that? That's right. I saw the movie in Louisiana. Well, when we went into the movie, the two there were two guys working there and they're like, oh, you're seeing Black Klansman, you know, just like they were just kind of teasing us for going or just like because it, it's like a heavy, dark movie, I think, or um, mm-hmm. like it's an intense movie. Yeah, I don't remember if there was a reaction or not. I don't think there were a lot of people in the theater. I don't know. No memory of that. So, yeah, I guess that was kind of a special place to see yeah. Black Klansmen. Any other moments that stood out to you? It, it just moves along. It's, it's a good suspense movie if you're just looking for, like, a just, like, a fun... It is an action-adventure movie, but there's just so much more. I loved it. I had a great time. I think when people uh, hear the title, just that it has... KKK in it they're kind of like oh I don't know if I can go there but yeah go there yeah just do it watch it it's a really good movie oh I guess I just do have one little Adam Driver note too on this is he got a little flack because he in interviews when he was promoting the film said that he remembered local clan rallies in Indiana where he grew up Uh and that a friend a childhood friend of his had a dad who was really involved and I think a lot of people in that area I guess what he was growing up in the early 90s what part of Indiana did he grow up in so he's from oh he was born in San Diego California hmm funny we didn't know that also oh my god he's uh in Mishawaka Mishawaka Indiana that sounds like a Wisconsin town to me it's right on the border of Michigan it's not oh. far from Chicago. Oh, okay. Anyway, there was clan activity in the 90s when he was growing up. It's true. Well, his best friend's dad was in the clan? Not his best friend, but this kid in his neighborhood who he played with. Yeah, his dad was active in clan activity. I so, mean, he must have heard some of that stuff mm-hmm. being said. He did. And also, you know, he grew up in a religious family, too, and I feel like there's a lot of mushiness between those yeah, which with the cross Ideas. burnings, I yeah. still think it makes no sense. Also, I was thinking about this too, since we both now have the same astrology app. I was thinking, I wonder what Adam's star sign is. What and is it? 
Do you want to guess? Because it's exactly what I thought it would be. I kind of think it's an earth sign. Am I right? Am I wrong? Water sign. Is it a Scorpio? Yes. Oh my God. Of course. Of course he's a Scorpio. Yeah. The intense. Good he, lovers too. Scorpios he, are good lovers. Yes, he's a total Scorpio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's his birthday? November 19th. 1983. <laughs> That's very close to my daughter's birthday. Uh, they're on the first day of Sagittarius. Oh. I actually put off their birth. Yeah, Sagittarius is a great sign. <laughs> That's right. That's your <laughs> sign. I thought two Scorpios would just kill me as a mother. Fire signs are more compatible. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of um, Scorpio in them, though, mm -hmm. being on the cusp mm -hmm. like that. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Yes, he's a total Scorpio. So what? how many combs would you give it? It's a five comb. I think of I'm going to give it five combs too. Although I don't think his, I still don't think it's Kylo Ren quality hair. But I'm going to give it five combs because there's so much other good hair in it too. So. Oh yeah, the hair. and it, Okay, we didn't talk about what he was driving at all. A big pickup truck. I loved it. It's really macho yeah. and you know. I love those good. 70s big pick. I loved all yeah. the cars in it. They were great. The, they backed the movie up to be like 71, 72, when the real story happened later in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So they could get like Nixon posters in there. Yeah, and... a lot of Nixon posters. Yes, of course. I love that era too. And that is when I came into this world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a really cool 70s car. Oh, really? It's uh, a Maverick. Do you know what this kind of car looks like? I'm looking it up right now. It's a lemon yellow Maverick, and the seats were black and white houndstooth. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah. Like that? Yes. Oh my God, it looks even cooler than I remember it. That is a cool car. Yeah, it had a cool like shape of taillights and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I saw one in a movie, I would go crazy, but like I never see them. I'd love to have one. I wonder how unsafe they are. Well, as we know, the Ford Pinto was not as unsafe as everybody thought it was. I just listened to I that episode. That I know. I mean, it was pretty unsafe, but all, like a lot of cars were unsafe. Yeah, totes. I took this ride in a Volkswagen Bug in high school. We went up to First Avenue, and it was in the winter. And the floorboards, there were like holes in the floor. My it was freezing had, yeah. cold. I can't believe we survived driving from like southern Minnesota to Minneapolis in the dead of winter in this really old Volkswagen bug with holes in the floor. But I did survive. That must be a thing because my uncle Steve had a bug too that had holes in the floor. And in Black Klansman, Patrice drives a bright so red cute. bug. Really cute. Good cars. Good cars, good clothes, good hair, good aesthetic, amazing five comb movie. Five combs. I, I feel like I've been giving a lot of movies five combs. We're also starting out with movies we already know are really good. Mm -hmm. So I feel like as we go deeper, I might, I might be a little more, not quite as generous with my combs. You're an easy A. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, first of all, this is not just a general survey of movies. They're Adam Driver movies. True. He seems to work with the best directors, uh, and he's always great. So, you know, there's a lot of good ones. But what are we going to do next? Do, are we going to cover Patterson? I love that movie. Mm -hmm. I would happily watch that movie again. Okay. 
Maybe we should do that next. Yes. I'm, I think I'm ready for Marriage Story too. You've like psyched me out on ma- Marriage Story. I'm afraid to watch it again. I think we should do Patterson first. I'm looking up Adam Driver in shorts because I'm also interested in that movie. Shorts? Yes, there's this movie where... A full, it's a full-length movie or a short? No, no, no. It's a full-length movie, but he wears shorts. Oh, 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 okay. It was... Wait, here, look. Look at him. Oh, my gosh. Short in shorts. shorts. Yeah, in shorts and little glasses. Because is that in the past? Is that in the 70s? I don't know what it is, but his hair looks good, and his shorts are really short. I think we should watch this one, too. But I'm game. I think we should do Patterson next. Okay. I'm, I'm interested in that. This is compelling, though. I mean, I love to watch movies I haven't seen before. So let's find out what this one... Tracks. Tracks. Oh, okay. Let's do Tracks next. Okay, so it's an Australian epic. I don't know why he has shorts, but he's a photographer and he wears shorts. Well, I mean, it's hot there, right? Is he in the outback? It looks like he's somewhere rugged. Can you do an Australian accent? No. (laughs) Can you? (laughs) No. No, but I will say, as I lived in England for mm, some formative years... You basically um, have an English accent always at the ready, that you're just masking with. It it goes away and it's gone for good? Yeah, but after school, I never had it. We moved there when it was too late in my development. But after school, my sister and I watched Neighbors and Home and Away. Teenagers in England love Australian soaps. So I watched a lot of Australian soaps as a young, as a teen but I still can't do an Australian accent. When the Crocodile Hunter was on TV, I did. That was a long time ago. I'm sure it was bad, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not good at doing accents, but I I will sometimes do them. Um, You didn't happen to be listening to NPR yesterday morning and hear this beekeeping story? No. It was a French beekeeper. They're really worried about bees in France right now, aren't they? Yeah, Scott Simon was interviewing this beekeeper, and his accent was so funny because it was so stereotypical, and said, he's a really hard time for the beekeepers in France, you know? <laughs> I think it's really funny. I was like, I can't believe this is not, like, you can find it on the internet. Okay, I'm going to listen. I kind of want to listen to this guy a lot. Like, I want to hear more of this French beekeeper guy. Oh, well, when we watch Sparks, when we watch the Sparks movie, I can't remember what it's called now, at Con. Annette, right now, Annette, mm-hmm. we you can do a French accent because what's her name is in it, a very French person, a very beautiful French woman is in it who plays his wife. Have you been to Australia? No, no, me neither. Although anytime I see anything about New Zealand, I always have to remind everybody who's with me at that time that I had a pen pal in New Zealand named Gemma Pierce. And Gemma and I were pen pals for like four years, and then we lost touch. In my imagination, everyone probably knows her, because New Zealand has more sheep than people. Anytime anybody tells me anything about New Zealand, I have to ask them if they met my old pen pal, Gemma. Well, New Zealand is the best country, right? Everyone agrees. Probably. Seems like it. Yeah. Gemma Pierce, eh? Are you out there, Gemma Pierce? Get in touch. Uh, We're on Facebook. So no, I've never been to Australia. Have you? No. Would love to go. It's a long flight. It's just not really <laughs> on my list of top ten places to go. I guess if I was going that far, I would go to New Zealand and then maybe pop over there. Did you ever read The Thornbirds? 
Have you ever read that? Oh, yes. Was that set in Australia? Yes. It's all about it. how awful Australia is to live in. Like, all the people who live there are, like, at the risk of dying all the time because there's animals and weather and... I listened to the you're wrong about, about the dingo. Oh, the, I haven't listened to that the one The dingo yet. ate my baby. So it's highly dangerous. Well, so the Thornbirds is set, like, in the 19th century. So that's part of it. Let's break down what we remember from the Thornbirds. There's a priest. Brutal. Yeah, it, there's all kinds of problems with that. There's Okay, there, there's one part. This shows my level of being an introvert, I think. What I remember the most from reading this book, and I was, like, in high school or something, at one point there's a woman in the book, and she has to live alone in isolation, or she's living all alone on the beach for a yep. certain period of time. And I just thought that sounded awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remember the most about the Thornbirds. But I think it's like kind of a racy book about a priest and something, right? Yeah. Am I right? I think, I can't remember the main character's name, I think is Maggie. But she grows up in this family that has like a million kids. And they're close to the neighborhood priest. And as she matures into a young woman, she falls in love with this priest. And the priest is like, no, no, no. No, no, no. But actually, when she's living alone on that island for a while... The island. Even yeah. better. Yeah. How does she get food? I don't know. Did she fish? Maybe she fishes. Is she stranded? I can't remember why she's there, but she somehow seduces this young woman, the priest, and they have sex like twice. This and is Fleabag. This is Fleabag. Oh, Season yeah. Season two. But not as... I mean, the thing is... Yes, I got completely Not. sucked into that stupid book, and I don't know why. And my takeaway was... It's taboo. I, got, I mean, I only read it a few years ago. Oh, it's okay. It's not like I was oh, a it's teenager, and I was like, oh, what is that? Like, Lady Chatter, did you read like I read Lady Chatterley's Lover when I was in high school, and I read it in my room with my friend Caitlin. Yeah, and like we in college, I read it. All yeah. the dirty parts, and we're like, hee, hee, hee. But it wasn't like the, with the thorn. I have no idea why I read it. But there's like Lolita level sexual issues because she's like a kid with the thorn. Yeah, priest. with the priest and authority yeah. figure. Oh, this is problematic. But you still read it a few years ago, and you're yeah. So oh, she generally marries, okay with it. She marries this one guy first, who may or may not be gay. It sounds like, and they have painful sex, and it's awful. And she has this child who's a miserable baby and awful. But then, like, she grows to be this tough actress and then with the priest she has this beautiful perfect baby and it doesn't hurt it hurt to nurse the first one but like the second one it was easy and he's like perfect and he has clear blue eyes and he dies when he's like oh, 20 geez. you can't blame the first baby just because you don't know what you're doing the first time well, the, the first baby ends up being like a survivor and as successful actress and just like perseveres no matter what because it was an unloved child maybe Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think this is a message in a lot of things. You'll be famous or successful if you're an unloved child and you need to prove yourself in some other way. I'm not endorsing this at all, but I think this is a cultural theme that's out there a yeah. lot. Yeah. And if you are loved by your mother, that's terrible and you're going to die. Yeah, so he <laughs> dies and it's unclear whether or not he drowns himself. Like he goes, yeah, it's just brutal. And then also when she's growing up, family members of hers are like injured or maimed or one kid gets tuberculosis and he dies.
eyes and her arms. And it's all because they live in this remote part of Australia and the weather is really bad and there's animals and they're poor and it's brutal. If you are interested in Australia, don't read this book. Wasn't the Thornbirds a TV movie yes. or something? Yeah, I think I saw the movie first and yeah, TV movies used to be a huge thing. They're not now. Yeah, it was a I don't know why exciting book it. at the time. That's funny. I've tried listening to some like I heard one Australian true crime podcast that was that I thought was good. And then I tried listening to other ones and I was like, Oh my god. No, it's like a podcast that's ten episodes and it should be like half of one episode where they just keep repeating. So I feel like I have an, a bit of a negative view on Australian podcasts. I'm sorry, Australia. There's probably good ones. I have kind of a dismissive view of Australian culture because of Neighbors and Home and Away, even though I love Neighbors and Home and Away, my favorite Australian soaps, where Kylie Minogue got her start on Neighbors. Okay. I have a good show that's Australian. Okay. It's called The Slap. Have oh, you heard of that? Is that where someone slaps a kid at a yeah. party and then every all the parents get all mad? Yeah, that's a good show. I loved Offspring. Did you ever watch that? No, I don't think so. Super long. You should watch it. It's on it's Netflix. It's a movie or? No, it's kind of soapy. It's okay. about a family and their offspring. <laughs> the the daughter is a, the main character is an obstetrician too, so she's always birthing children. Okay, so next up, tracks. Thanks for listening to this episode, episode number five? Yes. Of Designated Driver. I'm Aaliyah. And I'm Liz. Bye. Bye.